0: To PRIO's Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trigauer, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually, that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. Every year, PRIO holds its annual Peace Address, inviting distinguished guests to reflect on how to contribute to the creation of a world in which violence is the exception and peace is the norm. To bring these interesting, inspiring addresses to a wider audience, we'll be sharing some of them on the podcast as well. In 2020, we had the privilege of hearing from two young women on the topic of youth and peace building. Today, you'll hear Ilwad Elman. She's a Canadian-Somali activist working as Director of Programs and Development at Elman Peace and Human Rights Centre, an NGO founded by her mother, Fartun Adan. She's also involved in many other peacebuilding organizations, including serving as the youngest ever board member of the UN Peacebuilding Fund, advising the UN Secretary General directly on fragile and conflict-affected states globally.
1: Thank you so much, Henrik, for the kind introduction and for the opportunity to join you here today. From my capable co-speakers, we heard how youth have been leading even in the face of a global pandemic. And from Hadja, we heard why 2250, why youth and what a redesign of the peace process can look like. And after so many years of fighting for inclusion and so much further for us to go, perhaps my contributions can just for a short, short moment on this anniversary, celebrate all that we have achieved. I often find that looking back and reflecting on how far we have come to be an important part of the process to remain motivated, inspired and determined particularly in a trying field like peace and security. And when I think of the YPS journey, I think fondly on the memory of September 2015, where I believe I had the opportunity to contribute to this historic landmark we celebrate today. In September of 2015, I was in New York with youth from all over the world who were gathered to discuss and share ideas that would, after several intensive and highly inspiring and intentional few days, produce a global youth action agenda to counter violent extremism, promote peace, and outline the positive role of youth in peace and security. I had the distinct honor of not only contributing to authoring texts in the Youth Action Agenda, but to take the voices, the key messages, and the passion of the youth that were gathered at the summit before the World Leaders Summit at the UN General Assembly that was being chaired by President Barack Obama. There, I presented the agenda. How novel and new, just a mere five years ago, the contributions and Voices of young people in a forum like that were on countering violent extremism, on security, in the presence of the world leaders and the UN UN General Assembly. Not a side event, not a panel, but center stage. And not last on the speaking list either, when everyone has already made their statements and is rushing out of the room to the next meeting. Young people were finally and truly being heard. A few months later, on December 9th, the United Nations Security Council adopted Resolution 2250 on youth, peace and security. The Youth Action Agenda helped in shaping a global policy framework on youth, peace and security, and was mentioned in the text of the resolution. The resolution signaled world leaders acknowledged youth's contribution to peace and security and recognized youth's role as crucial partners in building a safer world. For many of us that have been working in these spaces in the face of grave insecurity and against insurmountable obstacles, this presented a new dawn, an entry point to really begin to work together with all stakeholders and actors finally at the table together as equals. It's a real privilege for me to share the stage with two women I greatly admire, the formidable Ms. who we just heard from and my sister in peace, Ms. Hadjur Sharif, who I've had the pleasure of working and growing alongside in our respective leadership journeys for some years now. It was his excellency, the late Kofi Annan who, first brought us together, who mentored us for three years and challenged us to inspire, empower, and activate our youth peers from around the world to become agents of peace. Under initiative of the Kofi Annan Foundation called Extremely Together, which Hadja and I till this day are advocates for, and in his memory and in the spirit of his legacy are paying forward the knowledge he shared with us by training and supporting other youth from all around the world to become peace builders. You are never too young to lead, he said. When former UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon appointed both Hadger and I as expert advisors on the progress study for Resolution 2250, we gained yet another opportunity to join forces to advance our shared goal of inclusion of peace. I felt both the gravity of the moment, the weight of that responsibility to represent 1.8 billion youth and knew the importance of what the findings of that report would mean to the future of the YPS agenda and the potential for groundbreaking impact on the way we deal with resolutions of conflict, especially if followed by intensified youth-focused and youth-led peace building for which the resolution lays out the framework. The work of young people on peace and security across different phases of conflict, types of violence and regions of the world is vital not just because of the size of their demographic group. If the right investments in youth are in place and their peacebuilding work is recognized and nurtured, societies may reap a peace dividend. This is an excerpt from the Missing Peace Report, the Independent Progress Study on Youth Peace and Security. Young people around the world, increasingly distrustful of systems of national and multilateral governance that exclude them, are forging and claiming new and innovative spaces for political expression organization, and peace building. Think Black Lives Matters, which grounded in the universality of the oppression and injustice young people face, young people of color and minorities, face as the first interface with law enforcement, sparked a global movement charged by youth, the Sudan uprising, and SARS in Nigeria. The list goes on and on. But as noted in the missing piece, there's however a tendency to see young people as a threat, rather than contributors to peace. As a consequence, young arenas for legitimate action for peace and social justice are often closed down. And in many contexts, they are targeted by governments. Experiences shared by young people indicate that these dynamics are only exasperated under the COVID-19 pandemic. It is therefore vital to not only protect the human rights of young women and men from repression and physical violations, but to protect and nurture the civic spaces, the formal and informal, the physical and virtual, which they occupy and through which they innovate in building peace. Right now, in Somalia, in a region called Melkalmuduk, a lethal armed conflict between two tribes is ongoing. For nearly a month now, two tribes that have historically coexisted together in peace, sparked by a land dispute, have taken arms against each other where you see him or her, adult or child, that you know to be of the other tribe, you have a license to kill. Those are the terms, no questions asked. Nearly 200 people are dead now, and it's been a month. It's not the first time entire tribes are called to arms like this. Mostly it's youth that are the gunmen, the lowest hanging fruit, but with the most to lose. Often what will happen is Women will plead with traditional elders to call for a ceasefire, but they won't be in the negotiation room when the talk takes place. Where government has influence, it will come with more guns and try to end it. Sometimes there's a formal convening, sometimes the international community gets involved, engages the traditional leaders and provides resources. Those that have the least to lose, with the most blood on their hands, are tasked with carving the pathway to peace. I see young people in these scenarios as underutilized and underinvested in to prevent armed conflict, and when it ensues, to be activated to end it. In this current conflict I described, I know that there are youth leadership structures within both tribes. They each have an appointed youth leader, indigenous and traditional structures with the tribes that can serve as an entry point for negotiating peace at the front lines. In scenarios similar to the one now ongoing in Galmudic, we have witnessed in Somalia, youth refusing to be weaponized against each other for petty things like land disputes. But this was only possible when those youth gained access to resources, safe convening spaces and skills to resolve conflicts. I know this because through my work at the LNP Center, we've invested in building these capacities in youth before conflict. And we've seen these young people now rise to the occasion when such conflicts are budding. If we know it to have worked before in the past, why do we watch now as this conflict prolongs without applying what youth have already demonstrated as a solution? Prevention, proactive investments in capacities to negotiate, mediate, and resolve conflicts are always better than the cure after the fact. The critical contributions of youth in building durable peace and preventing violent conflicts is recognized By resolution 2250 and in the subsequent resolution 2419 their meaningful inclusion is vital for the implementation of multilateral frameworks such as the sdgs sustaining peace resolutions and the wider women peace and security agenda but if these resolutions recommendations declarations and so forth will only be ink on paper if they are not translated to action plans localized to each context committed with budgets, and measured for impact. We've come a very long way in the YPS space, and we have so much further to go. Just last month, the world celebrated the 20th anniversary of 1325 on Women, Peace, and Security. And we know that much remains to be done to fulfill the promise of 1325 and the Beijing Declaration. And we know the shortcomings of the comprehensive and meaningful progress that becomes painfully visible when a majority of peace processes still fail to be inclusive. But the YPS journey has had the advantage of learning from 1325. And as a result, developed a truly inclusive, gendered framework for youth participation in peace and security. It is my hope that in another five years from now, or 10, that we not only celebrate how historic 2250 was, but rather the number of conflicts resolved and prevented as a result of the youth engaged in the process, as laid out by the resolution. With more than 2 billion people living in countries affected by conflict, on average post-conflict peace lasting only seven years, and peace still being brokered at tables that do not reflect all of society, it is time that we re, re- our current approaches and who is leading them.
0: Thank you. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit Prio.org. You can also find a video of Ilwad Elman's address there. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trick hauger Music by Martin Dunlable.